I might name my next child Roth. So that's what the cool kids used to say back in the day, back in middle school, I think. <laughs> hey, uh, what's going on? I'm, I'm your host, Kyle Hill. Hope everyone's doing well. I guess that uh, was the winter hiatus since we just did the summer hiatus not too long ago. Um, yeah, I've got to stop doing it with these long breaks. I apologize. Hope everyone's been doing well, even though inflation is kicking everyone in the pants. Hopefully we've got something to cheer you up here, something to look forward to. Um, we've had a busy start to the year this year, and uh, just got back from spring break trip. Talk a little bit about it on the podcast today, um, but uh, it's time to get this show back on the road. Gotta gotta start pumping these out. So for my episode today, brought on fellow advisor and study buddy Don Martini of Envision Financial Planning, a financial planning firm, RIA registered investment advisor in san francisco california francisco that's fun to say and i confess my love for the roth ira and we dive into what the roth ira is how it works and why you should think about contributing to one if you make too much money not a problem we've we talk about strategies on how you can still get money into a roth also we discuss uh, things you want to look out for and consider when thinking about doing a Roth IRA. There are a couple traps there. Um, the good news is you still have time to contribute to a Roth IRA for 2021 if you haven't done so already. But that offer is expiring soon, so you better listen up. Before we dive right into it, I need to remind you this is for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as advice because I'm not your advisor. However, I could be. If I did my proper due diligence and evaluated your personal situation, and we both liked each other. The best way to get that process started is to schedule a call with me, and you can do so by going to my website located in the show notes. When you get to my website, click on the uh, schedule a call in the top right-hand corner. So um, now without further delay, here's my interview with Don Martini. Making his podcast debut, Don Martini. Don, how the hell are you? I'm doing well, thanks. I, you know, I'm a podcast rookie, so this is my debut. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to chat with you a little bit today. Hey, appreciate you coming on. So no worries, and uh, don't worry, I'm a little nervous too. I've had a little break from uh, podcasting, so <laughs> I feel like I'm starting from scratch here. So. Um, but yeah, yeah. So uh, the how the hell are you? That's a little inside joke with with Don. He he calls me every time I answer the phone, and that's how he responds. So <laughs> I had I had to lace it in there. So awesome. Well, uh, so you are in San Francisco. Yes. So we we're chatting a little bit before, but uh, how is the weather out there? Well, right now it's about. 51 degrees. I could see because the temperature's on the bottom of my screen. Foggy and overcast. It's been kind of a okay. rough winter for us. We usually get a spring kind of uh, feel, but it's kind of running into March and we're, it's spring is not here yet. So so define rough winter for me. Okay. <laughs> You're talking to somebody that's right? in the Midwest yeah. here. 
No, we usually get a lot of rain in the winter, a lot of snow up in the mountains, but that hasn't happened. But we've had very cold weather in the Bay Area. Cold for us is like uh, maybe into the mid 40s at night and mid 50s during the day. But we do get uh, periodic days okay. of like 70, 75 degrees, et cetera. But those have been few and far between lately. Okay. okay. I'm ready for some warmer weather. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody, I guess. Yeah. So awesome. So the Bay Area, I have never been to San Francisco. Um, but I saw uh, uh, you live like close to the full house house. Uh, that is in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's there's a row of those uh, beautiful Victorians and uh, it's right off a of park. So it's quite it's quite a tourist attraction. Everybody likes it. I was going to say. Taken. Yeah. OK. OK. So very cool. Well, you have I, to I come, was... come visit and see the full house house. Well, I was I was looking on Google Maps and that's like a marker on Google Maps is the full house house. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's so pretty. It's a, everybody yeah. comes to get there. Not everybody, but a lot of people do. It's a it's a big attraction. Very cool. So, have you ever been inside it? No, I have not. No, I'm guessing someone actually lives there. Yeah, somebody owns it. Yeah, but. and yeah, that that makes sense. Never mind. I'm gonna sound stupid going into that, but uh, uh so you get the Golden Gate Bridge. And then Alcatraz. Have you ever been to Alcatraz? Yeah, I've been there a few times, actually. I usually don't go there as a... uh, As a a tourist, right? Yeah. I I don't... As a local, I don't really go there. I only go when people from out of town come. One of the best, actually, trips I did to Alcatraz was during sunset. So you were in Mm. on Alcatraz when it was dark. And it was actually kind of an interesting tour at that time. Okay. Okay. I was just watching uh, The Rock was on TV oh. a couple of weeks ago with <laughs> Sean Penn or not Sean Penn, uh, uh, Nicholas Cage. Yeah, Nicholas Cage and yeah. uh, and uh, Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Yeah. That's where that's where the Sean came in. Yeah, yeah Sean Connery. So very cool. Um, yeah. But the other, that, that the other were, attraction is actually the uh, ballpark. Is the it used to be AT and T uh, where the Giants play. But now it's it's called Oracle Park, and it's a great uh, ballpark. It's uh, you know just built I think about seven or eight years ago. But it's it's very informal. The um, foul lines are pretty narrow, so you're pretty close to the field, and it's a great place because you get beautiful views of the bay. It's really nice. So very if you cool. come to San Francisco, definitely see the Giants play. For sure. Um, we kind of have uh, some history, if you will. 2014. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, no, we, we definitely like to check out ballparks. We actually, uh, I was telling you, so full disclosure, Don is part of our, is one of, in my uh, weekly study group with uh, Betty, who's been on the podcast, and David, who's also been on the podcast previously. Um, so that's how we know each other. Um, but I, I was telling you guys that we went down to, uh, Arizona, um, to the Phoenix area a couple weeks ago, uh, for spring training. And when we went, we 
weren't anticipating to see any baseball because they hadn't struck a deal. Um, but we left on that Thursday. It was snowing here, so we got a late start. Um, but while we were in the car, they announced that they'd come to a deal um, and that they were going to start spring training. But their first game wasn't until the Friday, next Friday, and that's the day that we left. So, um, but it was cool. We, uh, I told you guys, we went down to uh, the Royals playing surprise, uh, surprise Arizona, northwest side of the Phoenix um, metro area. And uh, they share a facility with the Rangers. We went down there and caught some practice a um, couple days while we were there. So the boys got to see um, all the guys doing taking hitting practice and watch the pitchers pitch and um, those sorts of things. It was really cool. They get, they got some autographs. So my youngest Harrison, I told you this for some reason, um, this is kind of unusual, but for some reason his favorite player is the backup catcher, Cam Gallagher for the Royals. Uh, I don't know how that came about just watching baseball one day, he just started talking about Cam Gallagher and the rest is history. And so that's his favorite player. When he played fall ball um, this last fall, he was Cam's number 36. And so he's always talking about him. And so when we were there, we found him and we went up to him for autographs and we said, Cam, this here is your biggest fan. You're his favorite player. He always talks about you. He, he was your number for baseball. He wanted to be catcher because of you. Um, and he, so we gave him a ball. He's like, Oh buddy, you're my favorite. And, you know, gave him a fist bump and a high five and, uh, took a picture with him. And, um, you know, I'm not one of those that, um, gets gooey for, for, uh, athletes or celebrities or anything like that. But, um, that, that kind of melted my heart a little bit when that happened. Uh, becoming a dad has made me soft. So, <laughs> but so yeah, it was, it was a good time. No, I don't think it's a soft thing. Cause imagine, remember when you were a kid and all the ball players that you looked up to, and if you actually met one in person, that would be an oh, amazing, yeah. amazing oh, yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. The, the stars in my eyes, but yeah. yeah, I just didn't expect, you know, as a grown up, I'm like, these, these are people too, you know, but for me, that was just really cool to see, you know, um, giving my son the time of the day, you know, being the backup catcher, he, he probably doesn't get all the praise that Salvi does, Perez does, but, uh, no, it was, it was cool. It was cool. So, so now my mission is, uh, to get him to his birthday party somehow. So <laughs> my, my brother-in-law is big into TikTok and making TikTok videos. I said, Jeff, you, you there's some way that you've got to create a TikTok video that's going to go viral, right? That you can get Cam to his birthday. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if we can make that happen. Yeah. Think of the uh, stories his buddies could tell at school the next week, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he's still in preschool pre-K and I don't know. I think he's the only one. Yeah. That's kind of into the sports, but <laughs> so I don't know. So, yeah, we, we had crazy weather here. So I was telling you, we, we just had 75-degree weather. We were in shorts and T-shirts at baseball practice last night. I, uh, I, don't, I don't, So I told you we uh, decided to start our own baseball team for Harrison because um, we changed teams. So it was our second practice last night. 
and uh, we were wearing shorts and t-shirts on Sunday. That was our first practice. It was like 45 degrees out. It was freezing. <laughs> and then last night it started raining and we had a storm roll through. There were tornadoes. Um, I don't know. It's crazy weather here. It's 40, 45 degrees out today, something like that. Um, but then last night when we had tornado, uh, tornado warnings, actually movie twister was on. So I started watching that. (laughs) I'm like, is this a bad omen? I don't know. I don't know. So, but that's that's pretty cool though. I like that. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. How, uh, how'd you wind up in San Francisco? Cause aren't you originally from New York? Yeah, I'm originally from the East Coast, New York, New Jersey area. I, I was born in New Rochelle, New York, and then um, I grew up in New Jersey, northeast of New Jersey. Um, I ended up there because actually my brother was out here. He was going to school at uh, UC Berkeley. So I came okay. out and vis- visited. And um, actually, I moved back to New, New York, and then I came back like two years later. I just kind of thought the um, lifestyle was so much nicer than... Uh, east coast i mean you know you know what it's like for the four seasons but it's like you know um in the bay area you've got access to mountains uh the sierras so i I did a lot of backpacking etc up there in the summers and skiing in tahoe so it was uh and it's more geared towards the outdoors activities you know hiking biking things like that so it just attracted me that way because you're you're kind of a I don't want to say nature enthusiast, but an outdoor enthusiast because you go to national parks quite a bit and you had a pretty cool uh, trip. I don't know what, six months ago you want to talk about? Oh, sure. I, uh, yeah, I went to actually Tanzania. It was my first time in, um, well, I was in Morocco once before, but it's the first time it was more of a safari type thing. We were in the uh, Serengeti area, Uh, saw a lot of animals and, uh, it was a great trip. Uh, it's a long flight though, but it was it was pretty nice, and everybody was very nice. It was in in between the um, COVID variants, so there was a little bit of scare. But we were in our kind of own little bubble with our group, so everybody was vaccinated. We felt pretty safe. Um, I've also done yeah done trips because uh, to your point, I like the mountains. So I was thinking this morning like. Okay, what mountains have I gone, gone to? It's like I've been to the Himalayas. I went to the uh, Nepal a few times. I've been in the uh, really, yeah, yeah. I've, and and actually, I have a trip planned to uh, New Zealand, uh, February of uh, twenty twenty three. Nice, nice. Yeah. So Himalayas, what what did you you didn't hike Everest, did you? Climbing no, 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 <laughs> no, I actually, yeah, we went up to, actually we flew into, uh, it's a place called uh, Namchi Bazaar, which is a place where climbers actually acclimate to the change in elevation. And we went to the lower uh, Everest base camp. There. Oh, the base, okay. Yeah, the, the lower one. So it was like about 14,000, 15,000 feet. And still high we, enough. Yeah, still high enough where <laughs> it kind of takes a lot out of you and your body. Um, and then the second time I went there, I, there's something on the west side called the Annapurna Loop. And I did that one. Uh, and that was like about uh, maybe about 10 days. But uh, the thing in hiking in the Himalayas is that they have something called tea houses where you could go in uh, 
they're set uh, maybe five or 10 miles apart. And you could go in there, get hot meals, things like that. You could sleep inside, outside, things like that. It's very, uh, you know, backpacker friendly, let's say. Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. And then, okay. Uh, you know, I've done some hiking just uh, in the Alps too in, uh, in Europe. Austria, World traveler. Uh, yeah. In uh, Italy. I know a uh, a uh, advisor that caters to uh, travel enthusiasts in retirement. I can get you his card. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know somebody too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know the same guy. So, very cool. Um, so, yeah, how long have uh, you been in the Bay Area? And I guess tell us a little bit about your farm. Uh, I've been in the Bay Area about twenty years. I, 20, you know, okay. I kind of worked in. You know, I came after. Uh, college. Then I went back and actually got my MBA here. And then I started working for different corporations in San Francisco and, you know, the Bay Area for a while. And then I was just getting a little, um, I guess, burnt out uh, just because it wasn't very meaningful to me, the um, corporate, because it was uh, change in revenues, let's say, etc. wasn't very exciting. So, you know, I thought, what do I like best about my, you know, my work? And it was all the people that I met and the people I dealt with. And also I liked the analytics and the financial models. So, uh, yeah, I checked things out and found uh, financial planning. And when I went to some of the planning meetings, I found, felt like I had met uh, my tribe, you know, so I kind of started getting into that. I did the coursework in the Bay area at UC Berkeley, and then, uh, worked for a small planning firm in uh, the East Bay and Oakland. And then uh, okay. decided after a few years of that, I'd start my own firm, uh, RIA, because there were some things that weren't happening at the other firm that I thought some of the customers really needed that, uh, like manage money and things of that nature. So I uh, decided to try it on my own. And that's, I've been okay. doing this for about two and a half years. Awesome. Because you're a certified financial planner and you're a CFA, right? That is correct. Yeah. So we, we talked about, uh, the CFA when, when David was on. So, um, you guys are CFA brothers, not a super, so there's CFPs, there's CFAs. And then when you merge the two, that narrows your pool. <laughs> so it's any particular, um, clientele that you cater to there in the Bay area. I know there's a lot of tech you're pretty familiar with um, stock options and that sort of thing, but who's, yeah, who's your typical client, I guess. Uh, it's more, I guess they are high tech workers, but they're uh, let's say in their uh, let's say late forties to retirement. So that would be my little uh, niche there. Uh, you know, getting okay. people prepared for retirement to what could they do now? Uh, you know, getting ready to retire. But I, I when I've, uh, Dealing with clients in the Bay Area, I've come in contact with a lot of stock options, you know, uh, RSUs, ISOs, things of that nature, because there's a lot of tech pre-IPO companies here. So I've started getting uh, a lot more uh, knowledgeable, let's say, about uh, working with options and understanding them and how they're taxed, et cetera, because a lot of people get these options and they really don't understand what they have and how they work. So, yeah. Tell, tell, I don't think we've really talked about uh, RSUs and, and ISOs um, 
on this before. I guess just real quick, give us a, a summary of what those are. Sure. Um, okay. Uh, well, pre-IPO companies are basically they give incentives to the employees because you know they their future is unknown. So they give them RSUs or ISOs. ISOs are incentive stock options. So when they take a job, they might give them some stock options, which are basically uh, very uh, more user friendly, let's say, to the uh, uh, with, in, in terms of taxing. Um, so they are taxed differently than RSUs. RSUs are restricted stock units. And if you work with a company, they usually have a four year vesting period with a one year cliff where nothing happens and after one year you get quarterly uh, stock options that will vest. But when they vest, they get added to your income for the year. And they yeah. are. Yeah. So it's it gets a little complicated, but there, there are yeah. more incentives for people to stick stick with the company if they believe yeah. in the company, too. And so it's kind of a um, incentive for employees, as you mentioned, to stay with the company. Um, mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. And it's also kind of a, I don't know if you want to say liquidity issue or, or whatnot, but, um, kind of the way I've talked to folks, uh, that I've worked with that have RSUs, um, for these publicly traded companies that they work for. Um, it's, it's kind of like your company wants to give you a bonus, but they don't want to pay you in cash. And so they pay you in company stock, but it's restricted for a certain period of time. Um, varies on your employer what that that schedule looks like but um it creates incentive for you to stick around until those what you mentioned vest where they become available to you where you can cash them out and turn them into cash and so it's kind of like a bonus um with with strings attached um employment uh uh they're contingent on continued employment most most of the time um from what i've seen um every company is going to be different and i guess what they do but yeah is that kind of a good yeah no that's exactly it i mean you did uh, yeah that's it i mean and and the, the other issue is too that you know you get some very successful companies and you always hear the great stories but you know there are some you know stories of companies that don't make it so you know, you might have all these stock options, but then they might end up not being worth anything. So it, it's a gamble. So you are, you know, in a risk situation too. Right, right. Well, very cool. Um, so before we get started here, uh, we're going to do our 15 minutes of bluff <laughs> with Don. Are you, are you good? Are you ready for this? Are you familiar how this works? A little bit, but just let's okay. go for it. I'll, I'll roll with it. All right. So first question. What is your favorite TV show right now? Oh, boy. Did I did I sit? I, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm slurring my words. Sorry. I swear. <laughs> yeah, what is in uh, that cup? Um, sound like the president. What's your favorite TV show right now? There we go. Oh I articulated. I really don't have a favorite TV show, to be honest with you. I don't watch okay. live, uh, broadcast TV, if that's, yeah. No, good for Sorry you. about that. Good for yeah. you. So, I, I'm more um, movies and sports, that kind of thing. I don't really watch weekly shows. I got gotcha. you. I don't watch shows until they like come out on streaming. 
And so I'm usually like a couple years behind on everything. Um, so, but right now, Yellowstone. Oh, okay. Um, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, we, we talked about this. Um, yeah. And it's beautiful, beautiful backdrop for the show. Um, takes place in Montana uh, near Yellowstone National Park. Um, but it's like the cowboy mafia. It, it, I don't know. And I love Kevin Costner. So he's, he's awesome. Um, old John Dutton. Um, but yeah, that shows, I had heard a lot about it and it's number one TV show on TV. And, uh, so I finally, finally tuned in. So, um, I don't know, a month or two ago, I started watching it from the very beginning. I think it was finding how to watch it was the challenge because it's like a Paramount production, but it wasn't on Paramount plus streaming when I went to go watch it. And so it was on Peacock, Peacock plus whatever the hell it's called. Um, my wife made me describe to, uh, so she could watch, uh, I don't know, housewives without commercials. So I found it on there on Peacock, but it was only the first three seasons so I watched the first three seasons and then the fourth season, I guess they just finished up not too long ago. That's not on Peacock, but it was on, I guess, TV. So I recorded it on YouTube TV and I watched all four, the fourth season on there. And I guess they're coming out with fifth season. So, um, but no, I really cool show. I like it. Um, I want to be like John Dutton, except not a mob <laughs> boss. So yeah, I haven't seen that show. Yeah, but when we talked about it on our one of our calls, I, it started. I started yeah. watching it on Peacock actually. Yeah, it's good. It's good yeah. with these shows. It's I feel like a TV show, a sitcom, only has a certain number of years in it until it gets like just the storyline becomes a stretch or it gets weird. Like Nip Tuck, I was a big fan of Nip Tuck when that was out, but like it was good for maybe a, two to three seasons and then it just started to get weird. Um, I feel like that's the case with they just run out of material. And so it's, I don't yeah. know. Well, that was like, I remember watching a Stranger, Stranger Things. Is that what it was? Stranger Things, yeah. Yeah. And I thought that got kind of too weird at the end. I just didn't like it anymore. Yeah. Uh, they're getting ready to come out with uh third fourth season fourth season yeah i think fourth yeah yeah i don't know so yeah and then ozark i've got to tune into that i don't oh I don't I, oh i'm sorry i was a big fan of ozark i've, I've watched that whole series uh, through yeah have I they come out that. i'm trying to think have they come out with a new one though they came out with one recently um i think the in the like uh, October, November, they came out with it. Okay. View. I'll have to check it out. But there was like a, a one or two year period where there was nothing. Yeah. They had a break. Yeah. yeah. Something about COVID. I don't know. <laughs> but, but Yellowstone. And then I liked Ted Lasso. I just started watching that after it finished its second season. I started it from the beginning. But yeah. So awesome. What is your favorite or best? national park that you visited or i guess you could expand on that and you know we did talk about the himalayas that's pretty cool yeah i uh, national park i'll i'll do something in the country so um one of my favorites is um 
the Yellowstone and Tetons. That okay. Those two parks. I actually worked in that park for one summer. I went to oh, school really? in Colorado. Yeah, in Boulder, Colorado. University yeah. of Colorado. Yeah, and I worked up there one summer. So it was actually pretty interesting. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, back before everybody went crazy in Boulder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I'm just <laughs> kind of. Um, yeah. No. Uh, okay. Okay. Because I, I know we've talked about you hopping on your motorcycle and driving in national parks. Uh, what, what is it that's close by that you? Um, well, uh, Yosemite is, is close Yosemite. by. Okay. It's about four hours from the Bay Area. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my, that's kind of thing with me and my wife is we have all these national parks. We want to go see Yellowstone's on the list. She wants to go to Glacier, but I think I got to thinking about, it. I'm like, I think the only national park I've been to is Rocky mountain national park because <laughs> we always go to Estes park, um, in the summers and stay at the Y camp and it butts up to Rocky mountain national park. And so it's, it's beautiful there. Um, but yeah, I think that's the only, only one we've been to, but Yellowstone's on, on the list. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's a nice place. It's you got the thermal areas up in Yellowstone, then you got it's connected kind of uh, yeah to the Tetons, and the Tetons are just the uh, you know beautiful mountain range. Actually, they're the youngest range in the Rocky Mountains. Okay, okay, learn something new every day. <laughs> so, um, listeners didn't know they were going to get uh, that kind of knowledge here today. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> we're not only financial planners. We yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Oh, I think it was more that you wanted to be like, I, I wanted to be a ball player, you know, because like, I, I looked up what to sport? that. I was a Yankees fan when I was growing up. Oh, uh, so that's all my right. Dad, my dad used to take us to, you know, Yankee Stadium all the time. And, you know, those guys were just, that's how I know how your uh, son felt, you know, I mean, <laughs> It was, you know, it was amazing when you see these larger than life guys, like in person. I mean, these are your heroes that you only saw on TV or something, you know, and it's like. So, who, who was your favorite player on the Yankees growing up? Uh, it's going to age me, though. <laughs> it's That's all right. Uh, at that time, I was actually Mickey Mantle. Okay. Playing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. He was in yeah. his kind of waning days, but it was pretty exciting to see uh, him just the yeah. history of it yeah awesome um so not a mets fan no no it's it's either or you can't be both yeah. and you, you know no we were yankee fans i had friends and on the same street that i lived on that were met fans but okay well right now thomas is into uh the mets because uh pete alonzo on his he got a nintendo switch for uh christmas darn santa claus um <laughs> and that's all he wants to play and this was this was interesting so we got him mario or santa got him excuse me mario kart and he kind of got bored with it and we found this uh um rbi baseball or something like that it was an mlb labeled baseball game um and we were going to buy it and like I'd seen it on their online platform and I waited a couple days and this was all about the time the strike started 
But when I went to buy it, it was no longer available. Oh. And we're like, what, the, what, what, what's going on here? And so we were trying to figure it out and searching for weeks. And in stores, they didn't have any of the copies anymore. And, and so I think it had something to do with the strike um, or the lockout, whatever you want to call it. But uh, my brother-in-law, Jeff, um, he and his wife, Denise, they were at Target uh, a month ago or so, and they found an older copy, um, uh, the RBI Baseball 20, and it's got uh, Yelich on it um, instead of 22 But they went to buy it because they knew we were looking for a baseball game for them to play. And the people at Target tried to tell them that they couldn't purchase it. They're like, oh, that's not supposed to be for sale. (laughs) But uh, somehow, somehow they ended up purchasing it. So I don't know if they did self-checkout or something, whatever, but we have the game. And so (laughs) on there, on there, they have a home run derby. And so the number one seed when you go in to play home run derby is always Pete Alonzo. And so he's been playing that. And so now he's, he's big. He's this morning. He got, he got it back for the first time in a week and a half because uh, he had it taken away. Um, but he was playing with the Mets this morning, and uh, he said, "Dad, the Mets beat the Royals." I I was like, "Wait, excuse me, what are you doing?" But uh, yeah, he's a fan of Pete Alonso. So I was kind of the same way as a kid. Like you saw the winners, the cool guys, and so for a, while, a little spurt there, I liked the Yankees and Derek Jeter and those guys, and then. Um, then, then I fell out of love with them. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah. So what, uh, so baseball, what position would you play? Uh, well, actually I played little league too when I was growing up. So I was shortstop. uh, Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. The gun, the arm, make the throw. (laughs) Um, okay. So I wanted to be quarterback for the Kansas city chiefs. So, um, I wanted to do the Gary Spaney where I played for K state and then in college and then got drafted by the chiefs number one overall and was the quarterback for the chiefs. Um, that didn't happen apparently. So, (laughs) um, but that's okay. (laughs) I think we're good at quarterback for, for a little while. So you guys are covered. Yeah. Yeah. So, Interesting, interesting, uh, some off-season trades going on for the Chiefs, getting rid of Tyreek Hill. And I'm actually, I actually like the Juju Smith-Schuster pickup. I think, I think that's going to be under the radar. Uh, Before the the Tyreek Hill um, trade, I liked that. Um, I thought that was a good, good, uh, good deal. Um, and now we'll see what happens with Tyreek gone, but yeah, we've got a couple downfield threats now with him and, um, MVS coming over from, uh, Green Bay. We'll see what happens. What are the Niners going to do? Jimmy G out. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure where they stand this, this, uh, this coming. I don't know if they picked anybody up. Uh, yeah. Well, they've got Trey Lance, so I don't know. We'll see. All right, this is where you get the chance to ask a question. Did you come prepared? Uh, somewhat. Well, we were just talking <laughs> about traveling, so 
let's let me ask you a travel question and let me sure. ask you if um let's say you could travel anywhere in the world where would you like to go and what why how long are we staying uh you're staying uh a, a month all a expenses month? paid cost us no object shoot um I was going to go back to the, the well on this one and, and throw out Maldives. Um, I don't know if I could do that for a month though. You know, we've, I've been kind of pressuring David that he needs to make a trip there so we could write a blog and, and, uh, uh, write it off as a business expense, totally legit legal. Right. Um, you're my, you're my tax pro here. We'll have to get Scott on here. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'd want to go for a month. Um, hmm. Let me think about this one. You go ahead. Okay. And and that's bringing your family. It's not you yourself. It, you could bring your family or just your wife, whatever you'd like. <laughs> um, is daycare provided on demand? <laughs> um, hmm. Sure. I don't Why know. not? Why don't not? Know. Um, well, it's something to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, I'm kind of a homebody, honestly. Um, I like going and checking out new places, but I, I start to get an itch to get back home, you know? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But, uh, so one of the things we did when we were down in, um, Arizona, down in Phoenix, we went and toured the Diamondbacks uh, baseball stadium. Um, and that's kind of a turned into a thing of ours, I guess. Um, we went to Minnesota and watched them play the Twins back in the fall. And we did the tour there. And so, I don't know, that is kind of a, a cool thing that we is our thing, I guess, to do. Um, so, I don't know. Um, if it's, God, I don't know. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Let's say Maldives. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's my time. It's my time. That's a short answer. So, yeah. The Maldives, yeah. Yeah. What about you? I was actually just thinking, I would like to go to, uh, Machu Picchu in Peru. Okay. That's why? That, uh, why? Because it's, I, I believe it's one of the, um, seven wonders of the world it's uh it's the incan empire down in peru uh it's on top of the okay. mountain it's yeah so i've heard some good things i've never been to south america before okay so that seems like a good place to uh start very cool very cool where where would you fly into uh i think uh lima you, peru lima okay yeah okay very cool so um Last question. I always ended up with this. Uh, what would, in the spirit of baseball, what would be your walk-up song? Well, oh boy. Huh. I, I can't. Huh? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, do you want my walk-up song as a hitter or as a pitcher? They're bringing me in from the bullpen. <laughs> Let's go with the hitter first. The hitter? Okay. Well, I was going to give you one or the other. Um, I always do my 
hitter walk up song and it always changes. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah. So you want, you want to go with hitter. Um, I was listening to my Apple music iTunes today, this morning, trying to find a song and, uh, Bob Dylan forever young. Um, that came up and, uh, I like that song. I like that mm-hmm. song. Um, it's the intro theme music to uh, that TV show Parenthood, which we really liked with Craig T. Nelson. I might have mentioned this before. Um, but yeah, um, good message because I'm feeling a little old right now um, <laughs> with kids and, <laughs> and whatnot. Um, but uh, so I feel it's sending good vibes. I just I just got released back into the wild. All right. I had uh, physical therapy, my last session of physical therapy this morning. Um, and the uh, physical therapist, John, my physical therapist, has been kicking my butt. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, he, he re-released me into the wild, said I'm good to go. Just keep doing what I'm doing, I'm getting stronger. So I don't know about that, but he made me feel good. Um, yeah. Well, congratulations on ending that. Yeah, that's a big deal. For the first time, I saw someone I knew there this morning. I was like, okay, I've got to get out of here now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you know people, you're regular there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, gosh. So, um, but yeah, yeah. So keeping after it, um, making me feel young again. That's what I need. So okay. stay forever young. What about you? I, I can't really think of any. Okay. Okay. You keep yeah. that in the back of your I'll mind. Keep that, we'll come back keep to that. It, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, we're only 40 minutes in. And so uh, today I wanted to talk about Roth IRAs and brought you on. Uh, I think we're going to do the title of this episode is where to stash some retirement cash, the Roth IRA. And so kind of the reason I wanted to do this uh, was kind of two things. It's kind of timely, and we'll get into that. But also, I've been speaking with a lot of people lately who they always have this question when we're talking. It says, we're just wanting to know what to do with this cash so it's working for me. And so the translation is, I have all this cash, big or small, and I don't know what to do with it. You know, everybody sees inflation inflation sucks. It's kicking you in the pants right now. And everybody feels like they're losing money if they're just holding on to cash. And, you know, the bad news is you are. <laughs> um, inflation is eating away at purchasing power. Um, you know, your the interest you're earning on a savings account is nothing compared to what your what inflation is doing right now. So um the prices, and when we say inflation, it's the prices of things keep increasing, outpacing um, what what your money is growing at, especially if it's in cash. And so that's that's kind of one of what, why I wanted to talk about this this topic of the Roth IRA, because I've got folks that are have some cash, but they don't know what to do with it. And we're coming up on a deadline here at the tax filing deadline where you still have an opportunity to uh, do some stuff with that cash for retirement if you want. So so why don't don't we start out talking about what a Roth IRA is? And I'll I'll hand it over to you on this one. 
Okay. Well, there's two ways you could save money for retirement. And are we going to, uh, should I bring in a little bit about the 401k or just keep it on the Roth and IRA difference? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, two episodes ago we had Ethan on and, and we talked about what to do, uh, with an old 401k. So we kind of talked about the 401k and how that's an employer sponsored plan. Um, so you can, you know, only contribute to it when you're with an employer. And then kind of the idea of our podcast was what to do with that when you separate from service with your employer, because uh, the great resignation, as they've coined it, is going on right now. Um, and so we talked through some options. So I think mm-hmm. if anybody has questions about the 401k, go back and listen to episode 18 with Ethan. Um, and that'll, uh, That'll kind of get you on on what the four hundred one k is, um, but yeah, let, let's talk about the Roth IRA and I guess IRA as well because those are kind of intertwined. Um, sure, but uh, I guess yeah, go go ahead, go ahead. Sure. So as as you mentioned that we you can still contribute to um, a Roth and uh, a regular IRA for twenty twenty one up until you uh, the tax deadline, which is uh, April 18th of 2022. So you can still do that contribution. If uh, both of the Roth and the regular IRA have contribution limits of 6,000 uh, in total, and, uh, and you have a 1,000 catch up if you're 50 and older. So a total of 7,000 if you're 50 and older. And you could do it any way you want. You could do six thousand to the IRA, six thousand to the Roth, or you could do three thousand to each. But the total amount can only and not exceed uh, six thousand if you're uh, under fifty for a right. contribution, annual contribution. And the way the two work, in case you're not familiar, is the IRA you're putting in. Usually, you're putting in pre-tax dollars. So you're getting that amount as a tax, let's say, credit, Um, not a tax credit. But if you have a W-2, if you're a W-2 employee and you make $50,000, you put uh, $6,000 into an IRA, your W-2 is going to say you put, you know, you made uh, $44,000 for the year. So your your taxable income is reduced because the, uh, the contribution has not been taxed, whereas a Roth is after tax. And um, yeah, so that goes after tax. And the different, do you want to talk a little bit about the difference of the two, how it works in the life? Uh, because there the are IRA works that you get the pre tax uh, contribution and you get that uh, deduction immediately. But on the back end, when you go to withdraw the money, you're going to pay uh, income taxes on all the withdrawals. So you're going to pay uh, income tax on all your contributions plus any market appreciation that happened in those whatever, 30, 35 yeah. years. And um, yeah, so what's going to happen in retirement is that when you withdraw that money, you're going to owe income taxes on that money. So that's going to be counted as net income. So in retirement, if you have no net income and you have to liquidate $100,000 worth of your IRA, you're going to have taxable income of $100,000. So yeah. uh, the difference on that is Roth, Roth is after tax. And then when you go to withdraw, everything that you contributed is after tax, but any appreciation that you made on the money, um, it's tax, no tax on that at all. 
Yeah. A lot to unpack there. So let's, let's back up and we'll start. (laughs) No, 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 no. You're good. You're good. It's all good. Um, You touched on contribution limits. Uh, We'll talk about phase outs. Um, Kind of first thing, first thing I want to talk about just what is a Roth IRA. And so this is coming from Investopedia, which um, what does IRA stand for? Question for you. Individual retirement account. Okay. Um, is that is that part of the quiz? Is that <laughs> sorry? Here, here we go. Here we go. So, um, so uh, Investopedia Roth IRA. Uh, we'll put this in the notes. But what is Roth IRA? A Roth IRA is an individual retirement account. That's what you said. Um, IRA that allows qualified withdrawals on a tax-free basis if certain conditions are satisfied. Uh, Roth IRAs are similar to traditional IRAs, with the biggest distinction being how the two are taxed. Roth IRAs are funded with after-tax dollars. Uh, This means that the contributions are not tax-deductible, but once you start withdrawing funds, the money is tax-free. And so we'll unpack all that. I asked you what IRA stands for because this is coming from the... IRS's website. So I'll put this in the notes. IRA stands for individual retirement arrangement. Oh, arrangement, not account. Huh. It no, this is this is like marketing. Marketing is so good that everybody is it calls an IRA individual retirement account. Um, and it, I actually learned this when we were going through uh Dave Ramsey's program, um, where he talks, he's Actually, it's individual retirement arrangement, but it's just been marketed as individual retirement account. And so I guess if you if you say it, um, IRA account, if you said individual retirement account account, that would be kind of funny, wouldn't it? So, right. um, but whatever, whatever. Uh, I, I just think it's funny that we have conditioned everybody to think that it, <laughs> it means individual retirement account. So anywho, um, I'll, I'll put that in there. So you're, you're not the first one I caught on this and you won't be the last. So, um, but yeah, so the Roth IRA, it's like we talked about in previous episode about 401ks. It's just a type of an investment account that's meant for retirement. Um, whereas, you know, cash uh, that you're going to spend and use goes into a bank account, a checking or savings. If retirement funds that you're wanting to invest, they go into an investment account called a brokerage account. Um, And then when you slap Roth IRA on it, that just means it's for retirement. And so it has some certain um, restrictions around it and some different features that we'll dive into. Um, So similar to 401k, um, there is a similar version, uh, of the Roth IRA for the 401k. That's the Roth 401k. Basically any, anytime you hear Roth, think tax free. Um, that means that doesn't mean you don't ever pay taxes. It's your contributions to that are after tax. So, um, but yeah, 401k that's through your employer, IRA, Roth IRA, um, 
those are going to be on your own has nothing to do with your employer. Um, you had mentioned it, the contribution limits, um, for IRAs, Roth IRAs for 2021. Um, there's a reason I'm saying 2021. Um, we'll get into that here in a second. Uh, for 2021 are 6,000 per individual. So you don't open up a joint Roth IRA or IRA. It's an individual retirement arrangement. So each person opens their own up. Um, so married couple could, you know, uh, if they're under age 50 and meet the qualifications, you could do between the two of you, uh, $12,000, 6,000 for husband, 6,000 for the wife, um, for a total of 12,000, um, for 2021, uh, contribution limits for 2022 are the same. So they didn't get a bump like your 401k contribution, um, limits did. So, um, Yes. Uh, fun, fun little fact here. Um, the Roth IRA um, or Roth Individual Retirement Arrangement was established as a part of the Taxpayer Relief Act of 1997. Thanks to my favorite Delaware U.S. Senator, Senator William Roth. Um, so, uh, so fairly, fairly new, um, just a little over 20 years old. So, um, but, uh, it was part of this taxpayer relief act of 97, where they established this, where individuals could stash, um, retirement savings. And so, um, as you mentioned with the IRA, um, you can really, you contribute after tax money to both. But then when you file your taxes for that year, if you do it to an IRA and you're inside the eligibility limits, then you get a tax deduction. But uh, um, you don't get an upfront. Um, it, it's when you file your taxes. And so really, you don't kind of see it. But but then uh, with the Roth, you, you contribute after tax dollars to both of them. And then the IRA, you get a deduction. The Roth IRA... Uh, you don't get a deduction when you do your taxes. And so it's after tax money. You can put the same amount of money in both of them, basically. If if you um, take away the fact of the deduction, you can stick 6,000 in one, 6,000 in the other. They're both going to grow at the same rate, right? If you invest them the same way, they're both going to grow at the same rate. And then in retirement, when you take withdrawals, one's going to get taxed, the other one doesn't. So that's kind of the, the, what I like to say, which one are you going to choose? So, um, but yeah, that's just me. Um, I am a big fan of the Roth IRA. So as you mentioned, if you're 50 or older, you can do an, a thousand dollar catch up. So that 6,000 could be 7,000 total. Um, if you're 50 or older, um, but, uh, uh, you still have, unlike your 401k, your employer sponsor plan, where you have to make your contributions during the tax year, during the, um, I'm sorry, during the calendar year. Um, with the IRA and Roth IRAs, you can still make a contribution to those for the prior year, all the way up until the tax filing deadline. And so the reason I mentioned contribution limits for 2021 is because you can still make contribution limits for 2021 all the way up until the tax filing deadline this year, which is... April 18th, Monday, April 18th, because April 15th, the normal tax day 
is on a Friday. It's a good Friday, so it's a holiday. And so they punt until uh, the next business day, which would be that Monday, April 18th. So um, so it's a timely thing that we're talking about here. Anything you want to add on that? Uh, not really. I, I'm a big fan of the Roth, too. I think that's uh, especially somebody like that's in there anywhere in the in the um, age group. But, you know, mid 30s, you got about 30 years to grow that money. And it's definitely going to be worth it uh, to have it tax free at the end. Um, so I, I think it's uh, I'm a big fan of the Roth. Let's talk real quick about the limits before we dive into it. Just so, so with your, with your 401k, there's no real income limitations on it. It's if your employer offers it and, um, their plan meets the criteria, you can contribute, um, no questions asked, right? You can, uh, do elective deferrals up to $20,500. Um, and your income's not factored into that. If you're 50 or older, you can do a catch-up contribution of 6,500. So you could max out your 401k at $27,000, uh, this year if you wanted to, um, and your income is not factored into that. Um, however, with the IRAs and Roth IRAs, and so IRA, traditional IRA, rollover IRA, basically all the same. Um, it's all pre-tax money in a retirement account. So they, they, it's the same thing basically. Um, so we kind of use those terms interchangeably, uh, traditional IRA, IRA, uh, rollover IRA, um, rollover just, uh, signifies that you rolled it over from a prior, prior, uh, plan, uh, 401k plan or something. Um, so those limits, those contribution limits are much lower at 6,000 or plus a thousand dollar catch up if you're 50 or older. Um, however, these have eligibility, uh, limits on them or, uh, eligibility, uh, uh, phase out. they have phase outs on your eligibility is a good way to put that. And so, um, I want to note that because, um, that's an important thing to be factoring in here when you go to contribute to, um, a Roth IRA or traditional IRA. And so, um, I've got my little, little cheat sheet pulled up here, um, from FP fat pathfinder. Um, so Roth IRA eligibility, and this is for 2022. So for single modified adjusted gross income. So your MAGI, your modified adjusted gross income, the phase out is $129,000 to $144,000. That means the phase out on based on your income starts at $129,000 and is fully phased out at $144,000. For married filing jointly, your MAGI phase out is $204,000 to $214,000 when you're fully phased out. Um, these are for the Roth IRA and I'm going to have you talk about what MAGI is here in a second. Um, so going to the traditional, traditional. So what I like to say, so Roth IRA eligibility is whether you're able to contribute to a Roth IRA or not. The traditional IRA or just IRA, anyone, what I like to say 
and feel free to chime in on this. What I like to say is anyone can contribute to a traditional IRA. It's whether or not your contributions are deductible. And that's going to be an important note um, towards the end of the podcast here, because uh, we'll talk about if you're over the Roth IRA eligibility, maybe some additional strategies to get get money into a Roth IRA. So, so traditional IRA deductibility, whether your contributions are deductible or not, the phase out much lower for single modified adjusted gross income. The phase out starts at sixty-eight thousand dollars, goes to seventy-eight thousand dollars. You're fully phased out. So that's almost half of the single phase out for the Roth. So lower income, modify or uh, married filing jointly. Um, MAGI phase out is $109,000. $109, is the start of the phase out to $129,000. Um, you're fully phased out. So much lower um, income thresholds on that, which is kind of interesting when you think about what the um, what the uh, general old school train of thought is on which one to contribute to because they it's the question of which one do you contribute to they say if you're in a high tax bracket now higher than what you anticipate in retirement you want to do the traditional so you get the deduction now in retirement you're paying lower tax because you're in a lower tax bracket whereas if you're in a low tax bracket now and you anticipate being in a higher tax bracket in retirement, then you want to do the Roth. But this, this isn't really set up for that, you know, when you're looking at those, those phase outs, um, because you have a higher threshold for the Roth. And so, um, really when you're looking at somebody with the traditional, um, they're probably not going to be in a high tax bracket anyways. Right. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Um, my thoughts are that you, you need to be a little careful, uh, too, because I know people that work for companies that have 401k plans and they, uh, they max out their contributions each year. And so when they get to retirement, they've got like, you know, a lot of money in their IRA, but when they withdraw it, they've, uh, they pay a lot of taxes on it. So yeah. to me, it's we'll get beneficial to do the Roth, you know, um, that way, uh, because you don't have to worry about the back end, because I guess the reality is in life that taxes are never going to go down. So basically, when you have to withdraw money at 65 or whatever it may be at your retirement, um, yeah, it could kick you into 100 to 100,000, you know, about a 30% uh, tax bracket just by withdrawing your, the money you need to live. So that's something to be cognizant of. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that when we get to RMDs. Um, but so modified adjusted gross income, that one's kind of tricky. Uh, what I tell most folks is for most people, it's your AGI. There's a few add backs. Um, so kind of a good starting point is to look at what your AGI is. And then that kind of gives you an idea of where you're at on this scale. Um, but then, yeah, there's a few add backs. I know you're, um, out of, out of this podcast, you're kind of our tax expert. Can you <laughs> talk about modified adjusted gross income a little more, or are you 
Um, yeah. So, well, I, yeah, Batch, I am not an expert on this, but it is pretty close to what you said uh, about AGI. So use your AGI as a guideline. But to get to MG, um, modified MAGI or modified Magi. adjusted gross income, basically no, you take your AGI plus a few items like uh, exempt and excluded income and certain deductions are not uh, are excluded. So basically, if you think you're close and you're concerned about being over the contribution limits, uh, talk with your tax professional. <laughs> so that'd be a good yeah, place to Yeah, I hate to, to push it on the tax person, but you know, sometimes you need tax software to figure this out. Yeah. So the good news is um, I think most of the softwares today can navigate this for you on... I don't know. I haven't used TurboTax lately. I use um, OLT, actually, online taxes. Um, but uh, maybe I need to venture out. Um, but yeah, you. I don't know. I think uh, most of those softwares might have some features on them where they, they tell you um, what you can do as far as contributions to different types of retirement accounts. Because remember, you can go and file your taxes or... Uh, get them, um, bef you know, this hat, when you contribute to a Roth, it has no impact on your taxes. So you can, um, do it even after you file your taxes, uh, as long as you contribute before the tax filing deadline. So, um, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, like you said, has a few add backs, but most folks you're looking at kind of the AGI. So yeah. Yeah. gives you a good starting point. So, um, but yeah, and so that's to be able to contribute to those. So if you're inside of those phase outs, those phase out ranges, um, it's going to be, you're not going to get the full 6,000 that you could contribute. It, it decreases as you get closer to the fully phased out. So, um, just something to be aware of there. And I guess when we're talking about savings priority, the priority that I, I have used for a long time is um, contribute up to your company match if you have that. So 401k, 403b, TSP, contribute up to your company match, um, get the quote unquote free money. But then my next move is go fund a Roth IRA if you are eligible. And we'll get into the reasons that I recommend that, but... Um, it just gives you more flexibility and freedom. And so I say fund a Roth IRA. If you max that out, you're still looking to do more retirement savings, circle back to your employer sponsored plan. So your 401k, and then you can max that out. Uh, because if we put all these together, somebody that's not 50, you can max out your 401k at 20,500. And if you're inside the, um, under the income threshold of eligibility, you can do another 6,000. So you can get $26,500 into a Roth and your 401k this year. Any, any concerns about that? Is that what, what you would recommend? No concerns, but I just want to, I just want to make a, a point that if you're doing it through your company and your company is doing a, a, a match, even if you contribute to a Roth or a 401k, yep. your match is an IRA match, not a Roth. 
So that has is pre-tax. So yes. So you'll have two different, you know, uh, Roth account, and you'll have an IRA. Uh, so if match. you have a company match, and all of your savings you do on your end are Roth. So Roth four hundred one k, Roth four hundred three b, Roth TSP, and then you do a Roth IRA. All those are after tax. You're still going to have some pre-tax savings because your employer cannot contribute to a Roth. They contribute to pre-tax. So um, if you did a Roth 401k, you'd have a Roth 401k, and then you'd also have 401k that's housing all of your employer contributions. So another big thing with the 401k is check out your vesting, vesting period. So what I mean by that is generally all your contributions are going to be immediately available immediately vested. So they're yours. If you were to leave the company, those go with you. But your company contributions, uh, your company match, those are going to be on a vesting schedule. Those vesting schedules vary. Um, I think the longest it can be is seven, seven years um, where you're fully vested. But basically... If you were to leave your company after a year, you take your contributions, but you might not get your company contributions because you might not be fully vested or you might only be partially vested. Um, so kind of, a, I think a, the lowest you can do is three years, a, a three-year vest, um, a three-year vesting period where they're immediately available, I think is the shortest vesting period. Otherwise you do, um, uh, a stair step where it's over a period of years where you do, you know, after two years, 20% vested after three years, 40 after f- where are we have five years, you know, it stair steps on, on the percentage. Um, some companies will just say all of your contributions and employee contributions are immediately vested. So, um, that's kind of a, going back to the RSUs, um, an incentive for an employee, um, an employee to stick around, but those are, 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 uh, rules that companies have to follow. Um, they can't make the vesting schedule 10 years before your contributions are or before the employer contributions are fully vested. Uh, something to be aware of there. So yeah, retirement savings priority. That's, that's what I recommend. And, So what I want to talk about is why I love the Roth IRA. And I think it's the best retirement savings vehicle in my view, except for the fact I think the contribution limit's too damn low uh, personally. So yeah, why I love the Roth IRA, uh, tax-free withdrawals. So why don't you talk about that, um, the tax-free withdrawals versus the pre-tax? I've kind of alluded to it already a little bit. Okay, as we mentioned earlier, the um, the IRA you're going to be it's all pre-tax money, and any appreciation that you made on the account is also pre-tax. Considering, so what happens uh, when you start withdrawing the money out of your IRA? Uh, the government hasn't been paid yet, so they're looking for their money. Let's say, so as you withdraw that money out of your regular IRA, uh, you're going to be taxed at income tax rates. So if but by the time you reach age 72, if you haven't withdrawn all, you know, a bit of your money, they're going to require something called uh, required minimum distributions, RMDs. Mm-hmm. 
And what they do is there's a table, it's going to be based upon your age. It's an actuarial type table and it'll be based upon the, uh, your life um, expectancy. And they'll uh, force you to withdraw money annually out of your IRA because they want their tax money. So they want you to start doing that. Uh, on the flip side, the Roth, we already discussed how you're putting in pre-tax money, but when you withdraw it, you're not paying any taxes. So there are no uh, conditions with uh, a Roth in that the government already doesn't get any, any of your money, so they're not forcing you. So there are no RMDs or requirements for that. And plus, there's also the ability to, you can leave that to heirs, things of that nature. So um, it, the your Roth can outlive you and it would be, it would be fine. Yeah. So I like how you said their money. I say that too. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah. It's the government. What do you want? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's ours. You didn't, we didn't earn it, but that's ours. So yeah. What I like to uh, say to folks is you put that money in there, you got a deduction or if it's in a 401k, it was pre-tax. So it wasn't taxed. Um, it grew tax free, which is great, but now you're in retirement. And when you take withdrawals, um, it's, it's going to be taxed. Uh, uh, what is it? Only guarantee only certain things or death and taxes. So it gets taxed in retirement. Um, and so, uh, when, when you get taxed from a retirement account, it's actually at ordinary income rates. It boosts up your taxable income when you take these withdrawals. Now, maybe in retirement, you're at a lower income level, so it's not a huge deal. You're not in a higher tax bracket. You're not in a high tax bracket, but, um, it, it can potentially boost you up into a higher tax bracket. And we'll talk about that with RMDs. Um, but yeah, with the Roth, as you mentioned, you put money in after tax to the Roth, it grows tax-free. Um, and then when you take withdrawals in retirement, it's tax-free. And so you don't have to worry about the taxes. Um, so that's, you know, it's, we know what tax rates are now. We don't know what they're going to be in the future. And, um, you know, I, I like to tell folks right now we're in kind of the lowest tax environment we've seen in our lifetimes, uh, especially individuals my age. Because of the Tax Cuts Jobs Act, like them or love them, I, I tend to like them, honestly, um, of 2017, it lowered taxes for virtually everyone. There's a small sliver of folks it didn't help out, but virtually everybody it, it lowered taxes for, federal taxes for them, federal income taxes. But they are not permanent. And the current tax code it has a sunset clause on it. And at the end of 2025, if it's not made permanent or new tax codes not passed, they will revert back to their pre-tax cuts and jobs act levels. So just to give you an example, um, right now we have a 10, a 12, a 22, a 24, a 32, 35, and 37 um, tax rates on uh, federal income tax rates. So... Um, for example, that 12% will jump up to 15%. Um, you take a big jump going from the 12% to 22%. Um, but that 22% bracket where we see a lot of folks in, um, that, that bracket is going to jump up to 25%. So it's going to get a 3% bump. 
So the 24% bracket is going to go back up to, I think it's 28%. Um, so we're, we're going to see significant increases just the way things are currently. Um, and then what I like to tell folks, we're in the lowest tax environment we've seen in our lifetimes. They're set to go up. And with all the absurd spending that we're doing, where we've dug a $30 trillion hole called debt, how are we going to pay for that? Uh, and so I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of folks have said, well, interest rates aren't, a, aren't, they're super low. So it's not that big of a deal. Um, well, interest rates are on the rise. Um, and, and so that's, and then with all the geopolitical things going on, eventually we're going to have to pay for this. And it comes one of two ways we reduce spending or we increase taxes or probably a combination of both. And so it's kind of writing on the wall that we're going to see higher taxes in the future. What's your take? No, I, I agree with you uh, totally. Cause there was a report that came out this morning from the, um, the fed in San Francisco that said the cause of inflation right now, <clears throat> excuse me, is based on uh, government spending. That's the sole, you know, and then uh, they just came out with their new budget for next year, and it's a really bloated budget. I'm assuming they're going to trim it down. Yeah. 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 Well, so, so I, I, don't, really... I don't foresee government slowing down their spending, let's say, unless they're forced to. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you, have you, uh, do you know anything about modern monetary theory? A little bit. Yeah. Do you? I, yeah, that we can just keep printing money and it's not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do yeah. not agree with that. <laughs> but um, I think there's some folks that, that have, and I don't know, the conditions have had been right, but the, the, the winds are a change in. So yeah. I don't know. But, well, uh, and the pendulum swings, you know? So it, yeah. it seems like swinging to the point where spending is getting out of control when there's got to be something that, changes that yeah yeah i don't know we'll we'll see what happens but yeah the you mentioned the uh, budget proposal um biden uh is proposing a wealth tax which um i i think is just for one i think uh most folks uh, that are versed on the constitution would say that it's unconstitutional and absurd <laughs> so I don't know, but basically, are, are you familiar with it or they're trying to tax unrealized gains? So right, uh, of super wealthy. So what, a hundred million dollars? Yeah, I'm not more? exactly sure of the numbers, but um, the people that have that kind of money did not get rich by, you know, not being smart about their money. So yeah. if this goes into play, I could, I, I don't think. It's going to, it'll induce people to move money overseas or, or out of the U.S. Yeah. It, to it, not pay the tax. It's, yeah. Yeah. And so what, so Elon Musk is, you know, the richest person on the planet, right? Um, but a lot of that is tied up in his company stock, in Tesla stock. So it's not real money. It's on paper. Um, and so to actually have that real money, he would have to sell Tesla stock. So if you're, if you're going to give him a big tax bill 
on stuff that he's not realized. Um, so it's still invested in the market, but you're going to tax him on this. He may not have that cash available. So to make the cash available, he's going to have to liquidate some company stock to be able to pay that tax bill. Um, and that that's bad news for your average investor because that's going to create volatility in the market. Um, drive the stock when, when Elon Musk sells, you know, a billion dollars worth of Tesla stock. I'm just throwing a number out there. A billion dollars worth of Tesla stock. That's going to um, push Tesla stock down. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's more virtue signaling, but I, it's a bad proposal in my mind. So because the threshold is really high. But when they see that this doesn't create enough tax revenue, you can see that threshold's going to get lower and lower where it starts affecting right. um, your average person. Um, so, anywho. No, it's a good point that you bring up that on a macro level, it's going to really upset the market, the stock market, if everybody needs to liquidate, et cetera, and pull more money out of the market. This definitely has the unintended consequences. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's going to pass. Um, I don't think they have the votes for it. So, but, uh, keep fingers crossed. <laughs> um, so another thing going on to our next point of why I love the Roth IRA, but it's, you mentioned it earlier, no RMDs. So tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about RMDs required minimum sure. distributions. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, when you have an IRA, I, as I mentioned earlier, the um, government wants their tax money. So if they're going to force you to start withdrawing your IRA or drawing down your IRA uh, at age 72. Mm -hmm. So there are tables, um, actuarial tables that do um, your life expectancy, and then they're going to require you to take annual distributions out of your IRA uh, for the rest of your life. Yeah. So it used to be 70 and a half up until when was that passed? 2019, 2020, yeah. I think it's 2019, yeah. the secure act, they passed the secure act and raised the RMD age from 70 and a half to age 72. Um, there's talks about in the secure act 2.0 phasing that up to age 75, you know, people are living longer, um, work and, and so, um, but uh, as you mentioned, it's so RMDs are the government's requiring you to take out a minimum amount from your pre-tax retirement accounts, even if you don't need it. And so starting at age 72, so if you look up the uniform lifetime table for RMDs, that's what, what you were talking about, Don. Um, yeah. That gives you uh, the factor is what they call it. And so how you get to your RMD amount is taking your prior year-end balance. Um, so for 2022 this year, I would take my 1231-2021 balance on my, let's say your 401k um, or an IRA. And so take that balance and divide it by the factor. And so that factor it um, when RMDs start is going to be larger. Anything divided by something larger leads to something smaller, right? So, and then that factor as you age is going to get smaller. So the bottom 
denominator is going to get smaller over time. And so what we see is that RMDs based on size of portfolio and rate of return um, generally get larger over time in retirement. Um, is that typically what you see as well in the work that you do? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. So, and the, and the, the reason that becomes an issue as we talked about earlier is that when you take withdrawals from these pre-tax retirement accounts, it, it's taxable income. It's treated as ordinary income and increases your taxable income. Um, so if they get larger and larger over time, it can potentially drive you up into higher tax brackets. Um, when we run uh, uh, projections and planning software, I see this all the time where um, this boosts somebody from, you know, say they were in the, um, just for example, the 12 or 22% bracket. Mm -hmm. um, and then as time goes on in retirement and they're taking RMDs towards the end of retirement. So generally do plans to 95 or a hundred, um, on the age. Generally what we see is if, if you don't do conversions, it can boost them up into, you know, the 32, 35 or even higher tax bracket because, um, the growth on the portfolio and the, the RMDs that you're having to take are significant. Is that, is that kind of what, uh, no, that's well, well explained. Yeah. I see that too. I mean, when you see the amount of money that's coming out and the amount of taxes that you're paying, it's, it's, it's a pretty big number sometimes. Yeah. You got to be careful. And the, and the crappy thing is, is you may not need all of that. And so they're making you take out a minimum amount. But a lot of times I see in, in plans that we do is that, you're having to take out more than you need to meet your living expenses. And so that money's no longer in a tax favored account. Um, what we do in our scenarios is we reinvest it inside a taxable account, but then it's no longer sheltered from taxes. So anytime you sell an investment inside a taxable account or you get interest, dividends, or capital gains distributions from an investment inside a taxable account, those are taxable events. Whereas if it's in the tax sheltered account, like an IRA or a Roth IRA, you don't have to worry about those things necessarily. So, so we want to keep it in a uh, tax favored account for as long as we can. And so with the Roth IRA, you're not subject to these required minimum distributions. And so if you don't need it, you can continue to let the account grow. Um, and so kind of in the priority list of taking withdrawals from accounts in retirement, we generally put that at the back so we can let the assets inside that grow as long as we can. Um, assuming that we need, don't need to pull from it um, to meet our living expenses. But we like to take from the tax bowl, the pre-tax, before we get into the after-tax because you can benefit from that the longest. So is that kind of how you see things? Yeah. No, no, that's exactly it. Okay. So um, kind of interesting. So the Roth 401k, that is still subject to RMDs, um, if, if I recall correctly. But basically what it, what the recommendation is there is to avoid the RMDs, just roll that over into a Roth IRA and you avoid the RMDs. So you're not taxed. It's just they make you take out a, a minimum amount. I think it's just the the rules didn't really think about that. Um, I don't know. but uh, So yeah, freedom and flexibility is another thing that with the Roth IRA. Um, my big thing there is it's you – you're the one that contributes to it. You're not dealing with your employer or your plan sponsor. Um, and so 
you don't have to deal with the gatekeeper of your, your plan sponsor of, you know, Hey, I want to take money out of this or anything like that. Um, you have much more freedom and flexibility and kind of along those lines, more investment options available than if in your 401k or Roth 401k, that sort of thing. So, um, maybe touch on that, the freedom and flexibility of the Roth IRA in your view compared to the 401k. Oh yeah, no, I, uh, it's definitely uh, worth it for you, especially when you leave your employer. I mean, you could basically leave your, your 401k there, I, I think. Is that true? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, but it's on uh, the employer, but yeah, generally. Yeah. But, but we definitely recommend, I definitely recommend that you roll it over into either a IRA rollover or into your own Roth account if it's a 401k Roth. And that way, as is, is, uh, Kyle uh, stated, that you're not limited by your plan sponsor in the vehicles that you could use as investments, whereas you could roll it into a Schwab, a Fidelity, or any other sort of account and have a lot more investment options open up. Uh, also, there's not the cost involved, too, uh, in running the plan uh, for the employer. And you have yeah. better control over it, too. Yeah. Yeah. So investment options. So you mentioned that. Um, so generally how I tell folks, so with your employer sponsored plan, like a 401k, generally you're going to have 10 to maybe 30 or so different investment options available to you inside that, that 401k. Um, that's what you can invest your money in. So those aren't all, those don't all have the same objectives. And so, um, getting into kind of the Morningstar style box. Um, we'll, we'll put a link on there for that. But so generally you have maybe one or two options per different style that you're looking at. So maybe a large cap growth or a large cap blend or a large cap value. Those are three different investment styles, um, meaning they have different objectives. So large cap growth is kind of your think of tech growth oriented companies, Apple, Google, Facebook, those sorts of things. Um, and whereas value, you're looking at more of kind of your, I don't know, Berkshire Hathaways or, um, what are some other good value companies that you can think of? Um, Don? Yeah, like durable goods. Um, yeah, I'm trying to... so not, not sexy, but, um, they're cat, right. they're kind of like cash cows if you will. Uh, a lot of times they're, um, you know, when we call them value, they have a lower uh, price to earnings ratio. And so uh, a lot of times these are companies that are paying dividends. And then your your large cap blend is where it's a combination of growth and value mixed in there. So your S&P 500 index is a large cap blend tilts towards growth. And so those are three different three different styles right there, which could be three different investments. So when you think about um, that your your company plan may only have 30 different options, so there's large cap, mid cap, small cap, then you, that's for U.S. domestic stock. You have that for international stock as well. And then also bonds, different ratings for bonds and term. Um, so you can see how really fast you may only have one investment option for each available style that you're looking for. Um, 
And so it's what I like to say is that it's kind of the short menu when you go to a restaurant, a limited menu. Um, they're serving maybe two different entrees that you can order from. Whereas when I go to a restaurant, I want the full menu. I want the five flaps <laughs> fold like an accordion. You know, I want to, I want to know what my options are. And so when you invest in a Roth IRA at one of these discount brokers, you mentioned Schwab, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, Vanguard, um, E-Trade, um, you have thousands of different options available to you. And most of the time when you're investing in a 401k, you're dealing with mutual funds. So mutual funds are uh, a diversified investment where it's made up of several stocks and or bonds. Um, so you're not just one individual stock. And that's you know what we preach is diversification. But that's in the 401k where you have just basically mutual funds, maybe company stock. When you go over to the Roth, you have several options available to you. Mutual funds, ETFs, which are similar, um, stocks, bond, individual stocks, bonds. I don't know. What, what, what are some other things you're thinking about right now on that, on that point, on the investment options? No, I, th I think what you're saying is uh, on the options also there's the world stock market. You know, there's emerging markets things like mm -hmm. that if you want to go more into the international kind of flavor uh you, you mentioned international bonds but also there's international markets um and I, I agree with what you're saying about etfs and mutual funds because that creates automatic um diversification for you and i think that's one of the if you want to call it uh free lunches in in for uh the stock market in that you can automatically diversify because i think it's pretty uh, dangerous, let's say, to buy individual stocks because they require a lot of research, a lot of uh, staying on it. Whereas a mutual fund that's made composed of, you know, maybe, you know, 50 to 100 different stocks are in the portfolio. So if any one company does not make their earnings, et cetera, and it gets cut in half in value, um, it doesn't really affect the overall performance of the uh, fund itself. You won't feel this is... Uh, heavily as uh, you would if you own that individual stock. So I think for investing purposes, automatic diversification and in mutual funds and ETFs is a great way to go. Yeah. And we, when we talk about risk, so kind of two different types of risk we're talking about when we're talking about an ETF or a mutual fund compared to an individual stock. With an individual stock, we're talking about that 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 company could go completely bankrupt and that stock could be worth zero right whereas when we talk about risk with a mutual fund or an etf generally what we're talking about is the volatility the ups and the downs the odds yeah, the that risk, yeah. yeah the odds that all the companies in the s p 500 index are going to go to zero is you know slim to none right um so if you have an s p 500 index the the chances of that going to zero are pretty pretty nil, right? Um, who knows? Unless mm -hmm. World War Three starts or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. But just, just kidding. But then that's not uh, going to be your your biggest problem, right? It won't be exactly exactly. <laughs> so if it's if this is the apocalypse, uh, you've got bigger problems. Uh, food, uh, food, guns, and water. <laughs> uh, where's our ETF for that? Um, yeah. But uh, but no, it's uh, like Warren Buffett. I think his directions once he dies and his wife um, inherits everything, he says, just just invest it all in the S&P 500 index. Um, 
and let it ride. So, um, but, uh, doesn't necessarily eat his own cooking on that one, but, (laughs) uh, but, but he did have that big bet against, uh, that hedge fund. Who was that? Not too long ago where he, he bet them that the S and P 500 index, he'd buy the S and P 500 that it would beat their fund. Who was that? That hedge fund company. Um, and he, and he beat him. He beat him. Um, yeah, his S his S and P five hundred index fund versus uh, their hedge fund, and he he beat them up. I've got it on the tip of my tongue. I think it starts with a P. I'll have to look it up. Um, so yeah, yeah, more investment options available to you. Um, and my, kind of my rule of thumb. I don't know what what do you advise on investing in individual stock or speculative stuff. Um. I, it, it's it's a hard thing to uh, uh, quantify, I guess. And if you feel strongly about a stock, I would you know say, okay, let's you know take a little bit of money, let's say on the side, and you, you could feel like you know play money in a way, yeah. uh, like it's almost like you know cryptocurrencies, things like that. But um, but I, I'm not a big fan of buying individual stocks because. <clears throat> I, I, it's more of a uh, investment philosophy and I, I can't compete against like the Goldman Sachs, the Morgan Stanley's, uh, cause they have big research departments and they're doing this all day. Um, and I think for us, uh, we want to minimize the risk, but, you know, um, diversify too across the market. So I think, yeah. uh, mutual funds and ETFs are the best way to go. Yeah. I always say, I use a general rule of thumb is 10% of your retirement assets. Don't make um, individual stocks and speculative investments more than 10% of your individual or or your uh, retirement portfolio. Basically don't do more than you can stomach to lose. Right. Right. Um, If we were to invest, you know, $50,000 in individual stocks, would you be okay if that went to zero is kind of how I like to, to uh, approach that when somebody's talking about individual stocks or Bitcoin. Um, I do need to do a podcast on Bitcoin. I've been talking to my buddy, Andy, um, Andy Flattery, who's, who's been on the podcast a few times. We're going to do one on cryptos. Um, he's a big Bitcoin guy. Um, so that's saying that publicly is going to get me off my ass to actually do that <laughs> podcast. So, um, so more to come on that. I'll listen in on that one. I can't wait for that. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, so yeah, tax-free withdrawals, no RMDs, freedom, flexibility. You mentioned fees. So talk about the fees associated with the 401k and then the Roth IRA. Um, I, I like to make that point as well, um, that, uh, you know, plan administrative fees with the 401k, you don't have those with the Roth IRA when you get a, one of these discount brokers. So tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, uh, are you talking about the fees through your, uh, employer? Yeah. So talk about the employer sponsored plan. Yeah. So yeah. expense ratios, obviously we can't get rid of those. Um, However, we're stuck with the options that are available to us in our employer-sponsored plan, whereas right. when we have Roth, we can find alternatives 
cheaper alternatives, lower expense ratios that accomplish the same goal. But then there's also the plan administrative fee um, right. that isn't so transparent. So I don't know. Maybe you have a little more insight on that. No, that that's uh, basically it. Because you're paying somebody to you know administer the plan for you, so there's always costs involved with that. So, and then you're right because they aren't very transparent. So they have administrative fees, et cetera, et cetera, that you know get tacked in there, or they could charge you quarterly or annually to uh, you know maintain the uh, the plan. Each each individual within the plan. So. Yeah, and it gets a little bit more expensive, uh, you know, that way, as opposed to going to uh, somebody like a Fidelity Schwab or something like that. And then you're just paying regular, you know, commissions, which are pretty low these days. Yeah. Next to nil. Um, yeah. So there's there's a good article. I'll put it in the comments about um, fig- how to calculate your, your fees of your 401k plan. Um but yeah, expense ratios, there's not really anything you can do about that. Again, we can find uh, cheaper alternatives. The plan administrative fee, um, it's kind of hidden. And so not always, uh, you, you kind of have to dig into um, your plan documents to actually figure out what that is. There's some softwares out there. Um, I used FeeX for a while. Uh, they had a free resource where you could use that and it'd give you your monthly fee analysis. Um, but they, I guess they've changed, uh, they've changed their branding and I don't know if that's still available. I was trying to find that the other day. Um, but you like sync up your 401k to it and it, it shows you like the monthly fees. Um, that was kind of cool, but, uh, also kind of, a uh, along those lines. So somebody might say hear from their employer that, well, we're, we're paying the administrative fees. So you don't have to cover the administrative fees. They're not coming out of your assets. And that's great. But I had a client where this, this is what um, he was told by his employer. Oh, we cover the plan administration, administrative fees. So I go and I'm looking at the investments and I mean, it's, there's, you know, uh, your Vanguard index, your, your Vanguard large cap index, those sorts of things. I get to looking at it and the expense ratios, um, the expense ratios had been beefed up inside of his plan. So, uh, for example, so let's say Vanguard large cap index, um, in the plan, I think it was at like 40 basis points, um, 0.40%. Which mm-hmm. for a mutual fund, an index mutual fund, that's pretty expensive. Um, when I went and looked it up um, on, uh, uh, I used TD Ameritrade. When I looked it up on TD Ameritrade, the expense ratio there was 0.04%. Um, so it was basically uh, j- just 35 bips, you know, 36 basis right. points more expensive inside of his plan for the same fund that you could get in a Roth IRA. Yeah. So 10 times, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I I thought that was interesting. So, but just something you got to dive into the details to be able to figure that out. Um, So something you could get on your own costs more inside of this plan. So yeah. uh, I guess any other thoughts on the Roth? as far as why it's a great option. 
No, I think we've covered a lot of that. And we, you know, I didn't know if you wanted to touch a little bit on the uh, backdoor round. Yeah, certainly. Certainly we can, we can touch on that. So, um, but again, a Roth, there's no administrative fee. You can go online, set one up in a matter of minutes online and ACH over some money, connect it to your bank account, contribute money into the Roth, um, you know, very, very quickly. It's not hard to do this, but then, then it becomes once the money's in there, what do you do with it? And you gotta, you gotta get it invested. And so I know uh, a lot of 401k plans, a popular investment for them is target date retirement funds. So it's an all-in-one portfolio. It's several mutual funds inside one mutual fund. And so the person that is managing the target date retirement fund, the portfolio manager, is basically just managing and rebalancing the mutual funds that are inside of the target date retirement fund. Um, and so it's a one size fits all portfolio. Um, most 401k plans nowadays, those are offered. Uh, the target date is generally, uh, the, the date, the closest five year period that the participant turns 65 is kind of what they're targeting. So it might be, you know, 2050 or 2055, the closest you are to one of those dates when you turn 65. Um, you know, it's an, it's an, it's a fine option. It's an easy set it, forget it, just keep contributing. But I think it's for the average investor. We've talked about this before and um, it's not custom tailored to your situation. Um, right now, given the environment for someone that's super young, um, you know, the most aggressive these are going to be is somewhere between a 95 um, to 90% stock allocation. And so you have a five to 10% bond allocation. And in my opinion, that's kind of a drag on your portfolio right now when you're still in the growth and accumulation phase and you have a long time horizon before retirement. And generally what we're talking about when we're talking about retirement accounts is age 59 and a half before you're eligible to take a withdrawal without a 10% penalty on top of any tax that you would owe. General rule of thumb, um, there are some ways around that to access it earlier, but that's typically what we're talking about when we're talking about retirement age. But uh, uh, yeah, um, the backdoor Roth, talk about that. Well, let's talk a little bit, uh, go back to that uh, target date funds, because the way target yeah. date funds also work is that as you age or get closer to your target date, they start changing the allocation. You might have a 90-10, as, as you mentioned, Kyle. Uh, initially, but as you, you know, go to 20 years out and 15 years out from your retirement, they start uh, increasing the bond side or the fixed income side and decreasing your equity exposure. So yeah. you could at the end uh, be like 50-50 or maybe even 40 equity, 60 bonds. And so um, you're better able to control your own investments and exposure to risk uh, on your own. Because automatically they do that uh, with the target date funds. Yeah, it's called a glide path and they get more conservative over time as you get older. Generally, I think what I saw on Vanguard's website is in your mid 40s is when they trigger and start getting more conservative um, on the glide path. Um, you know, the big thing is, well, first of all, I think they start out too conservative Um like if I'm fresh out of college and I'm investing in a target date retirement fund, 
I, I don't think there's really given the market conditions a reason for you to be in bonds right now. Um, right. But uh, it's a drag on the portfolio, your growth accumulation phase. And um, but uh, it th- that kind of leads to the point of these don't factor in market conditions. Um, and we've been at um, historically low interest rates for a decade now. Um, so the bond portion of the portfolio has not performed to historical averages. And so you're not really getting what you're, you're not getting, uh, out of the bonds. The purpose of them is the stability and the interest that they're producing. Um, the rate of return has been historically not up to par, right? I don't know what, what, what is your take on, on the target date funds? <laughs> if, if you're not if you're not somebody that is going to actively take care of this, then it's it's an okay way to go. But I think, um, yeah, when I've del- delved into what funds are actually in the target date funds, I find I found that they were not the greatest funds either. They were like kind of second tier funds. Okay, and so I I didn't really like the quality of funds that were kind of. Uh, in those target date funds. So yeah. I, I have a little issue with that too. And I think I would rather be able to pick my own allocation and adjust it according to, you know, uh, how I feel about the market yeah. and whether I, you know, like you were saying, like bonds are not, you know, a good place to be right now. And I, you know, I wouldn't want to have too much exposure to the bond market right now because in a in rising interest rate environment, bond values are going to go down. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Which sucks for somebody that's trying to retire right now that wants yeah, some exactly. more stability and predictability in their portfolio. And then if you're in a 50, 50 portfolio, let's say with your target date, it's, and you can't unwind that you, you know, you can't say, no, I don't want 50, 50. You have to give what they take, you know, what they give. Yeah. You, you can't customize it. Yeah. yeah the only exactly. thing you can do is extend out, you can get in a different target date retirement fund that has a uh, farther out target date on it. Right. So I don't know. Um, So yeah. uh, What were we going to talk about next? Oh, the backdoor Roth. Uh, Yeah. Let's talk about the backdoor Roth. Um, And so I guess kind of leading into this. So if you're over the Roth contribution eligibility limits, Roth, eligibility limits based on your income um, to contribute to a Roth, if I'm saying all that correct. Uh, There's still another way to get money into a Roth. And so, as I mentioned, you may not be able to contribute directly to a Roth IRA, but anybody can contribute to a traditional IRA. It's whether or not your contributions are deductible, um, tax deductible. And with that, I will let you take it from there. And so tell us about how this backdoor Roth IRA concept works. Okay. So as you, uh, well, as, as we, uh, Kyle and I mentioned, we're both big fans of Roth IRAs. So, and if you're um, beyond the contribution limits, you could put the money into a traditional IRA. As Kyle mentioned, you could do it uh, uh, after tax money too. And what happens is you can yeah. put the money in your IRA and then who, whoever is handling your IRA account, you could tell them that you want to convert your contribution to your uh, Roth IRA. So what they'll do is they'll basically, uh, you know, 
put the money in and basically transfer it over to your Roth IRA, but you will have to pay taxes. Uh, first of all, if it's a pre-tax contribution that you're converting, you would have to pay income taxes on that contribution. And if there's a little bit of, uh, let's say your value increased, you won't have uh, on an after-tax contribution, you won't have to pay taxes on that contribution since it's after tax, but you will have to pay taxes on any sort of account appreciation. And then yeah. that way you can have it uh, transferred over from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA account. Yeah. So kind of how this works is anyone can always can do a Roth conversion. So from your pre-tax IRA, you can do a Roth conversion where you file a form with your discount broker and say, Hey, I want to convert X dollars over to Roth format. And so you'll need an IRA. You'll have your IRA. You have to set up a Roth IRA that it can convert into, but then they'll convert, you know, say $10,000. Well, if that's pre-tax, that $10,000 is taxable will be added to your taxable income that year. Um, so what we're talking about, what you were talking about is Anyone can contribute to a traditional IRA. Um, if you're over the limits on a uh, on a Roth, you can do a non-deductible contribution to a traditional IRA. So that's after-tax money. You can do a conversion, a Roth conversion, and convert that amount over to a Roth because it's after-tax dollars going to after-tax dollars. It's not a taxable event. Again, you mentioned if you have any gain on it, that would be taxable. Generally what I recommend to folks is just keep it in cash and then convert the cash over. So I know there's a question of timeline on that. Um, you know, you might wait a statement cycle. Some people wait a year. Uh, really? <laughs> I say, let it settle in the account and then file the conversion form. <laughs> So it's, right. this is something that is legit, has been blessed by the IRS um, in the last couple of years. So um, there was some questions before of how long do you have to wait before you can do the conversion. So um, so that that's kind of how that works. Um, I guess one one thing to be aware of before you do that, though, is the aggregation rule. You want to you want to talk about the aggregation rule and how that works? Sure. So let's say you have an IRA account and you have both um, pre-tax uh, money in there and after-tax money in there. So mm -hmm. you ideally you want to move the after-tax money over, let's say, if you don't want to pay taxes. But what happens is, let's say you have a 50-50 split in that, those amounts. So what happens is if you transfer money, it's not you can't just take the after-tax money out and move it over. You have to take the total of, of the amounts that are in there and move it over. So if you want to move, let's say $5,000 over, you would have to take 50% of the pre-tax money and 50% of the after-tax money. So it has to be in kind uh, distribution. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't, so that what you're saying is you can't isolate your after-tax contributions right. and convert them over. Um, the aggregation rule says you have to look at the whole account. Um, so if there's pre-tax in there, 
there's pre-tax in there and then after tax, you have to look at that whole account. Um, also, I guess not just account, but accounts, plural, because if you have multiple pre-tax IRAs, they don't look at just one. They look at the whole, the com- the combined. And so you were a little more generous in the 50-50 split. I, example I typically use just for simplicity is say you have $94,000 of pre-tax assets in an IRA, um, and then you do a non-deductible contribution of 6,000. So that gets you to a hundred thousand. So if you wanted to convert over that 6,000, 94% of that basically, because $94,000 out of that hundred, 94% is pre-tax. So 94% of that conversion is going to be taxable versus only 6% is going to be tax-free, if that makes sense. Um, don't quote me on those specific numbers, but that's basically how that works. Um, so, so that can be an issue if somebody's wanting to do a backdoor Roth and they have, um, you know, a significant amount of, of, uh, uh, pre-tax IRA assets. Um, there are a couple ways around that. Uh, so I, what, I guess what I've, um, what I've talked about before is, um, if you wanted to do a Roth and you have pre-tax IRA assets, if you have 401k, you can, you know, if your employer, if your plan allows it, you could roll your pre-tax IRA assets into your 401k to free up your IRA. Um, or if you have a Roth 401k available, you could just start contributing to your Roth 401k um, if, if you have a, a pre-tax IRA, um, I don't know what, any other thoughts on that? Is that, uh, kind of what you encourage? Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely anything I'm correct. missing. No, I, I did, I did want to bring in the, um, the five-year rule yeah. for, for the backdoor Roths or any sort of Roth. So, conversion. so yeah, for, first of all, um, I guess that's a good, good point to go back to on, um, on the Roth IRA, when you set it up, just know that this is a long-term investment vehicle meant for retirement. And so, um, there is a five rule, five year rule of when you first open your IRA and make a contribution to it. Um, it's, uh, it's a five years before you can take the gains. Uh, you can always take your contributions out, right? But it's Correct. five years before you can take the gains out of the Roth IRA. Um, after that, you're good. But what you wanted to touch on was the five-year rule of uh, a conversion, right? Right. It's so it's pretty much what you just uh, said. I mean, it, it's when you first make your contribution to you. So if you're just opening up a Roth IRA to do this uh, backdoor Roth, um, like you said, you, your contributions are after tax, so you can withdraw them without penalties. But any sort of appreciation or any other sort of withdrawals, you have to. There's a five-year rule that you, uh, uh, the the year, the calendar year you open up your account, that you have to have the um, the money in the account for five years before you could withdraw it without penalty. And that's just the appreciation of the uh, the contributions. Yeah. Well, we've gone two hours. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so just, I guess some things to consider before contributing to a Roth is your income, make sure you're inside the the limits 
uh, make sure you're, you know, within the limits. If you're not, um, you know, that would be something to be aware of. And, um, what I like to say about the backdoor Roth is it's a complex Roth IRA. That's how I like to phrase it. I call it a complex mm-hmm. Roth IRA. Um, so it's a little more, a little more steps involved and things you have to think about. So be aware of what your income is, um, current assets and location where those assets are. Do you have, um, uh, if you're looking to do a backdoor Roth, make sure, uh, to be aware of your other assets and where they are. Uh, do you have traditional IRA pre-tax assets? Um, and then time horizon. Again, this is a retirement vehicle. And so it's meant for retirement. Um, so generally speaking, age 59 and a half. Um, again, if I'm contributing to the Roth, I prioritize, I put that at the back. That's what I'm going to take from last because I can um, let things grow inside that in a tax favored way longer than any other account. So, um, what about you? Any, any things to consider before, before contributing that I missed? No, no, I think we pretty much covered everything. And I agree with what you said there. So, um, so again, to kind of sum it up, um, I love the Roth. Sounds like you do too. I might name my next child Roth, um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> nah. but uh, great investment vehicle, a great vehicle to invest in for retirement. The great news is you can still do it for 2021 up until the tax filing deadline. You can open an account at one of these discount brokers. If this is a right choice for you, say you have some cash sitting on the sideline, you don't know what to do for it. You want to beef up your retirement savings. You could still do this for 2021. Uh, because once that ship sails, I like the Rocky talked about this in one of our early episodes. Think of the IR, Roth IRA is a moving van and each year is a moving box and you get to fill up that moving box. You get to fill it full. If you want to, you can put nothing in it or you can fill it up. But once you get past the deadline, once time expires, that box closes and it does not open up does not open back up. You can't put more into it at a later date. And so when I talk about contributing to a Roth, if we're still inside this window where we can still contribute for last year, I say fill that up first. That way um, we still have this year to work with all the way up until the next year's tax filing deadline. So again, if this is you know works for you, something you're looking to do with some cash, um, you can go and open up an account at one of these discount brokers. You mentioned Schwab. I think they're out there in the Bay area with you. Um, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, um, uh, E-Trade, Vanguard, and you can open up an account online in a matter of minutes and then set, hook it up to your bank account and contribute the funds over. You want to make sure it's for 2021. If you're trying to do this before the tax filing deadline, the big thing I say right now is. Even if you don't know what you're going to do with the funds inside of there, just get the cash in there and then you can figure out what to do with the funds later. You know, whether it's meeting with an advisor or finding, you know, what your 401k plan offers and finding that same target date retirement fund um, inside your Roth IRA, you know, whatever it is. But um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. Anything else? No, I'd just like to say, too, that it might sound complicated, but once you get everything set up, you open up the account, you get into a rhythm of doing the contributions, you're, it's, it's going to be a, bene, a very beneficial uh, 
way to handle your uh, retirement funds. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, awesome. Awesome. And if anybody has any questions about it, you know, reach out to an advisor. Um, they can reach out to Don, myself, um, or an advisor in your area, you know, check out XY planning network, NAPFA, the national association for personal financial advisors. Don, where, where can folks find you? Did you ever tell us what your company's name is? Uh, Envision Financial Planning. Envision Financial Planning. There you go. <laughs> we <laughs> forgot all about that. Yeah, so, I forgot all about um, that in San Francisco. Yeah. So we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Facebook, Twitter. Are you on the IG? Where where can we find you? What, what are you doing? No, I'm on Facebook and um, LinkedIn. Facebook and LinkedIn? Yeah. And my website. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll put those in the show notes. So, um, yeah. Uh, appreciate you coming on today. Oh, thank you. And, uh, I I enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, for sure. And, um, if you, if you run into Nancy out there, are you in her district? Uh, yeah, (laughs) kind of. She was texting me for donations. So I got, oh, I got a text from her recently. So just tell her, just tell her it's coming. Um, I don't know. I think she got the, the mail, wrong number. Right? Wrong, yeah. number. <laughs> wrong number. She needs more gelato. <laughs> I don't know. So awesome. Well, hey, good to see you. Thanks for uh, hopping on the mic and uh, talk to you later. Okay. Thanks, Kyle. I appreciate it. Hey. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show today. This still sounds a little confusing. I get it. We eat, sleep, and live this stuff over here. So if you still have questions, feel free to drop me a line or I'll do my best to answer them or pass them along to Don. Now, you can find more information about our guest Don Martini and his firm Envision Financial Planning in the show notes. If you'd like more information about me, And let's be honest, who wouldn't? Or Hilltop Financial Planning. You can visit hilltopfp.com, no dash. For links and resources mentioned in the podcast, be sure to check out the show notes. Also, be sure to hit the subscribe button or follow us on Apple Podcasts so you get all the new episodes when they drop because we've got to do a lot more of these. If you could do me a favor and leave the podcast a review, that would be appreciated. Remember, as Stu Bergier says, five stars is the appropriate number of stars. I don't know what's happening, but uh, I'm going to take the blame on this one because we just haven't been producing enough of this life-changing content. So we'll get we'll get on that. So then I better see those stars start trickling in. So pouring in, pouring in. So um, you can find personal finance from the hilltop where podcasts are found. At Hilltop, we continue to bring on new clients, so if you or someone you know are interested in discussing how we can help you find financial freedom, go to our website and click on Schedule a Call in the upper right-hand corner. We offer a free 30-minute introductory call, no sales pitch, just a conversation about you and what you're looking for and how I can help. Lastly, the dreadful, scary that I was advised by my compliance to read, and that is, everything on this podcast is my opinion or my guest's opinion is not meant to be taken as investment advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as a fiduciary. This podcast is for educational purposes only. 
Hilltop Financial Planning, LLC, is a state-registered investment advisor in the state of Missouri, but serves clients nationwide who are exempt from registration. Another episode of Personal Finance from the Hilltop in the books. Signing off from the Hilltop, I'm Kyle Hill.